Welcome to Merit Stabling Path. situation is grim outside yep yep i like i brief like very faintly saw something in the news regarding the flooding yes i'm not like up to like yeah <laughs> there's like so much of news everywhere yeah, right? like yeah, you, you absolutely know, you, yeah you get like lost in all of it saturated <laughs> that's completely correct yeah so so you've always lived in assam i was born in assam yes okay. i spent my formative years here first 8 years i would say i was here Right. Then for nine years I was in a boarding school in Rajasthan mm-hmm. in Ajmer. Then another five years in Pune. Then about a decade in Delhi. And now I'm finally back. So I would say I left Guwahati in 1995. I yeah. returned just pre-COVID. So let's say 2020, January 2020. So it's been two years since I've been based here. Mm. That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. And like enjoying it back uh, like yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's good to be back home. There's a lot of support, a lot of family. That's nice. And especially when uh, COVID hit and mm-hmm. the lockdowns hit. Yeah. I think that really pulled that really helped a lot that everybody pulled together and just knowing that you have a support system was true, really true. valuable. Yeah. Because before this I was in Noida where you know we have an apartment. Mm-hmm. And weathering the covid storm in an apartment vis-a-vis weathering it in your own home where you have a little bit of garden a patch to grow some veggies mm. i think really makes all the difference of course yeah we were like yeah i was quite lucky on like this side because uh, even though we were in lockdown we were permitted half an hour i think half an hour one hour of exercise time every day mm. outside so like even though if you were even if you were in an apartment like you could go outside and also like yeah you could go i think once a day for your groceries or stuff like that yeah it's so that is, you know? yeah it's yeah <laughs> but yeah anyways like what is what keeps you busy like these days right so see professionally i am what you call an advocate a lawyer mm-hmm. right so i cleared my Uh, I passed out of law school in 2009. So I've been this is my 13th year of practice. Right. And I practiced for the first 10 years in Delhi where my main specialization was technology law, corporate law and competition law. These were the three fields of law that I practiced. And mm. after having, you know, after, I think after having done my learning and foundation in Delhi, me and three batchmates of mine from Pune where my law school is symbiosis so mm-hmm. all for four of us in all uh, yeah. in total we came together and we started our own law firm called Panda Law 
So now Panda Law's got a branch in Delhi and a branch in Guwahati. I am the partner heading the Guwahati office. Right. Trying to establish it here, and the Northeast does not have too many law firms, and we are one of the first few full service law firms in the region. Mm-hmm. So that's really what keeps me busy, trying to set up the practice here, trying to right. you know bring a suite of legal services into this region, which people have not fully, uh, I think, uh, grown an appetite for, okay. but. We are also seeing this region as a whole, which was traditionally a backward area, kind of now getting elevated with a lot of projects coming in, a lot of funds mm-hmm. coming in, a lot of exposure, right? Right. The you know so all these things have kind of put us on the map finally, and we suffered through a terrible bout of insurgency post independence for a long period of time, and that has now quelled. So mm-hmm. I think where we would have this. The northeastern states would have been sans insurgency. Right. Is I think the path that we are finally on now. So I think my 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 arrival here has been very timely and also kind of calibrated to this uh, larger environment. Oh, that's yeah, that's good that like yeah, I managed to have everything in place and like keep all these other points in mind. Uh, but like, what is so technology law so? So, what would like a hmm, how do you put this? I mean, what I don't know if you're allowed tech to. Tech lawyer do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And like in okay. a brief sense, yeah, so like if you give me with an example, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll give you a case study, right? So, yeah. uh, let me get a little granular. So, tech law is a very broad subject, right? Anybody who's doing any kind of law uh, that has whose clients are in the technology business, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I let's I, I represent uh, traditional businesses who may use technology, but that's not their mainstay. But when it comes to technology, uh, when it comes to individuals and businesses and companies in who are specializing, let's say, uh, what's called blockchain technologies or Web three technologies or virtual digital assets, as the Indian government today calls them. So these are highly uh, highly new. Suites of technology that are hitting the market, that regulators have not really figured out what to do with and what not to do. Compliances are not clear cut. Most uh, most things that these uh, startups and these entities have to deal with is patchwork. So th- we kind of come in there to uh, help them make sense of the landscape in general, India as a landscape in general, and help them kind of st- handhold them from the moment they plan on doing a business. Right. So they're like. They- we are three individuals we have this crazy white paper we know that this is the product that we are ultimately going to make he's going to do the coding he's going to do the marketing he's going to do the general stuff there's some sort of understanding we will then start probably helping them formulate what arrangement intersect each other they may require sometimes they like we've already got a company up and running now tell us what to do mm-hmm. so we'll help them we'll firstly understand what they do I guess the a technology lawyer has to be able to make sense of white papers, of uh, technological concepts, of how different aspects work together in tech, so that uh, so that you are not giving uh, the client half advice, because most cli- most lawyers who are there in the industry today they have very specialized practice areas, right? Somebody is doing insolvency law, somebody is doing criminal law, right. and Technology law is a very very new field, and most people, including myself, are we don't de- we don't call ourselves only technology lawyers, right? We are. 
I'm a lawyer mainly on the civil side, on the corporate side, on the advisory side where technology is a part of my practice. But given that, uh, given the environment that we are in and given that tech is a huge, I think natural force almost that's washing over us right now, this is a field that has really gained a lot of prominence in my portfolio of clients. Mm -hmm. So to give one example, we have two individuals who do a lot of proprietary trading, right? And they're based in two different jurisdictions, one in North America, one in Europe. And they wanted to understand how to now protect their codes, protect their proprietary trading platform, uh, proprietary trading methods. At the same time, protect their uh, funds that they've generated, how to formalize them, how to make sure that their parents are taken care of on one side and the children are taken care of on one side. Correct. Mm -hmm. Then they want to, let's say, move into different jurisdictions to so help them set up into different jurisdictions, make sure their taxes are taken care of, make sure their entire uh, the entire legal ecosystem that an entity may require can be offloaded to us. And, right. right. And because we understand like when somebody comes and tells us that, yes, I'm using APIs on these 17 platforms to, to algorithmic trading for stable coins. Right. But we are not looking at these kind of entities and we have this AI sentiment you know, uh, uh, code also that's going in to help us make decisions. Mm -hmm. So then we can kind of make sense of what all of these things are without being befuddled. So right. I think that's really where we come up to. And when, like, even when, uh, uh, when we have, when we kind of meet clients, we, our offerings are in three buckets. One is first, we usually start with some form of product structuring, where we kind of look at the product and we tell them, see the product as it stands. We don't comment on mm, commercials, but we will tell you that this product will have these kind of regulatory hurdles, these kind of compliance hurdles. Understood. You will probably not be able to operate in these 13 jurisdictions that you are otherwise looking at. Okay. So make this tweak here, this tweak there, this tweak there. Right. right. And many times, and this is usually a collaborative, sometimes even an antagonistic process where the client really doesn't want to let go of something. Mm -hmm. So we have to really battle mm, butter heads together, brainstorm, come up with solutions right. that you know are not cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. So that's one side that usually goes hand in hand with uh, our corporate and tax structuring as well as the IP structuring. So these are all different elements in the ecosystem. So corporate is how you are established, how many companies you have, do you Correct. have subsidiaries, who's above you, who's below you, where your operational company is hosted, where is your intellectual property company hosted. Correct. So in larger organization, it makes sense to silo these out. Mm -hmm. If you're addressing multiple markets, you maybe you may want to have entities position in those markets as well that you know so usually all of this gets reduced to a very fancy flowchart hmm. where we'll show you in a graphical yeah. representation how everything is moving and awesome. each arrow in the flowchart will be some sort of contract arrangements agreements fund flows right we capture all of that right so that's the corporate structuring part then we also look at the a lot of the ip structuring where we see whether you have anything patentable whether your trademarks have been copyrighted hmm. what is the international impact of such stuff then uh, right and uh, is like uh, your brand names if they're there if any if you are in a place where you are doing a lot of your websites let's say will have certain some sort of interactions are there with the public so that needs to be your data privacy policies your terms and conditions simple stuff also right which very often get yeah. overlooked yeah. we look at all of those things wrap it all up for you in a neat box with a bow on it and uh, so, and ultimately the idea is that the client should be in a position to do what they do best and right. not have to, you know, really worry about the legal side of it Understood. too much mm -hmm. or at all if we can help it. So, yeah. so it's, 
complete one-stop shop kind of a situation where you come to us and we try to make sure that every aspect of your requirements are met in one place with people right. who understand your product. That's really right. the USP. Uh, if I mean, I, you may choose not to answer, but like, for example, uh, who would be a, like a client or, or you do you? Yeah. No, we can. I, so basically, we have clients who are, let's say, ready to play, uh, earn to play platforms. Okay. We yeah. have, yeah, we have clients who are uh, making algorithmic trading platforms that gamify how trading takes place. We have Got clients it. who are uh, some bigger clients, like is uh, not on the Web three side, but on the yep. Web two side. We have, let's say, Amazon is a big client of ours. Okay. Right. So yeah. the Tata Group we represent in a few things. So there are a lot of like, uh, especially in the Northeast region, I personally represent a lot of public publicly listed companies. That's my specialization here, because there's a gap in the Northeast for people uh, mm. who can represent larger MNCs and pubcos. Awesome. And yeah. on the out of the Delhi office, our intellectual team I think represents some of many Fortune 500 companies. And even new, new, new uh, emerging companies that are coming out. So, even through Colors of India is one of our clients. Mm-hmm. So, we've been helping them set up, make their bylaws, make them compliant. And through Colors of India, many projects have come to us where we've helped them set up their intellectual property stuff, their contractual stuff. Right. Then, yeah. So, I mean, it's the whole spectrum, right? Anybody who's yep, in any yep, part yep. of this ecosystem is we work with them because. What we've realized is that in general, uh, even though it is fairly unregulated, there is still a lot of compliances to be done and you want to be future-proof and future-ready, legally speaking. Yeah. You don't want to create anything, promise anything, spend energy and money on something that tomorrow can be regulated out of existence. That's really where we kind of come in and try to help uh, make sense of things. Got it. Yeah, it's like a yeah. As you said, it's like one complete package. Like you know, you, and obviously there'll be like I, I mean the, there's as every client approaches you, there'd be some homework to be done. It's not like you would have answers yeah. off your back. For like, yeah. See, that doesn't happen in our traditional practice. In our yeah. traditional practice, when a guy comes, you know exactly which section or which act and which mm. court before which judge you are going. Right. It's all laid out for you. Right. So mm. that's like that's fairly routine. That's fairly rote. Yes. And uh, the exposure to novelty in our traditional practice can sometimes be a little limited and muted. Hmm. So, you because everything is already preset, and if a new law comes in, then sure, you will see some upheaval there and you will see some uh, pain points and head scratching, but otherwise, not so much. Then it's just a hmm. matter of, you know, applying the right law to the right situation. Yeah. But with technology clients and especially with the Flux that's there and that like if you look at even something as simple as the internet, mm-hmm. right? The internet was around for at least 20 years before the Indian government came up with an IT act. Then even that IT act does not really know what to do with the internet for most parts, even though it is fairly robust with security and many of the infrastructural sites, yeah. but it's not completely there yet. And our data privacy policy, data privacy act is still kind of hanging fire. We don't have a robust act like the GDPR or something else. So, right, and uh, so a lot of the cues we kind of have to take from global regulators and uh, entities abroad, especially when uh, 
most clients we find work internationally they have an international mm-hmm. footprint because i guess it's just become a lot more simpler and easier to get an international footprint now than mm-hmm. let's say 20 years ago yeah so uh we so that actually helps us establish best practices and standards for our clients as well going forward right so i think this stage of our lives is industry called can be called industry building you know the yeah. these industries are just being built out today i mean yeah. the crypto industry as a whole is 2009 right so it's as old as my practice mm-hmm. basically yeah yeah so uh, so yeah when like what got you like and like what when were you introduced to crypto and like when oh yeah i think this is a classic question for everyone right mhm mm, the rabbit hole so see i think i've through various readings and newsletters and what not what not i would say that i've been aware of crypto for a very long time right 13 14 maybe mm. i was definitely aware of it when the first pizza was bought so that's when i heard that okay remember that random thing somebody's bought a pizza but this is very like background noise Mm-hmm. right it's a novelty it's like a video game somebody's playing i don't play video games why do i care it was in that category of you know information in my head correct then at one point it touched 1000 dollars i think that's where we took note me and my then flatmate we kind of deliberated what this really means and we had a few friends who were you know receiving bitcoin sending out bitcoin so we knew that it was a novelty item but we really did i don't think we took the time and energy to look deep into it yeah what it meant what the technology meant and frankly speaking had i read the white paper then i think i would have been as foxed and i'm like i don't know what this means mm-hmm. i don't think i would have seen the value of it and yeah that time also the educational content on bitcoin and other i mean whatever little other currencies so there was next to nil mm-hmm. you really had to hang out on reddit and other forums to talk yes. to individuals to get your information right so that was there was no like youtube phenomena that is there today you didn't have crypto twitter at that point as such it is yeah. none of that was fully grown yeah. fleshed out so i think around 2017 end is when i took my dive mm-hmm. that's when i dumped, jumped in uh i went through this period of just like so actually demonetization in india was my trigger same Because, same here yeah, also yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was, when de- sorry, I just I was working yeah. in the banking sector when it was demonetization. Oh yeah. wow! Uh, <laughs> in India, yeah. You were in India working in the bank. Which bank? Uh, it was a small corporate bank in uh, Bombay. It's called. It's a Citizen Credit. It's a corporation okay. bank. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you basically saw the effects of demonetization firsthand, huh? First I mean, hand, yes. From yeah. a banker's perspective, from which is unique. Yep, yep, yep. Huh? And uh, to, yeah, I think we were and we were working weekends and like yeah, it was crazy because because <laughs> every every second day they were changing the rules, right? And like yeah, and and I, and I was in this hub, in like in a mm. central hub uh, where there's lots of trade, like in a small place, like like for Bombay, like this, like a central hub where lots of trade and like lots of yeah. different traders. and there were lots of uh, goldsmiths as well so i remember okay. that you were, you could uh, sell your gold for uh, the older currency and get like way higher return on that but you would get it in the the currency that was demonetized correct yeah so there was 
and there's like these few black markets or yeah, yeah gray markets that started off everything has a value yeah that's what i learned during that mm. point okay when the markets get squeezed and you know it just turbulence everything lands up having value mm-hmm. and mm, so very similarly while <laughs> you were going through your banking experience uh you know i I was at a friend's wedding. This news came that people were like, "Oh, they didn't know whether to be happy, but they're already little inebriated." I think by that time, <laughs> by the time the eight PM thing happened, I, was, yes, I think yes. we were it at was eight PM. Yeah, it yes. was, I was at I was at a sangeet, so people started throwing money around. Okay, they're like, "Oh, this money is useless now. This money is useless now." I was like, "Why, look, what is this behavior?" Okay, so there was quite a bit of hysteria that uh, kind of went through and next morning like mm-hmm. i was into the stock market i was trading i was like you yeah, know trying yeah. to understand how these things work cuz it's clear to me that markets were a way to I- increase your wealth in the long and short term right so yeah. something i've always been doing since i was in college so i was like okay so like which what is going to which entity uh, is going to benefit positively from this mm. correct and uh, I was quite clear that Can you just speak into the microphone you just got in software one second yeah can you hear me no just a bit softer yeah. now yeah i don't know so i was quite i was looking at you know what stocks to pick up that will benefit positively from demonetization right mm. and the first thing that hit me at that point of time was that it would probably be uh, something like paytm or these all these like you know uh paytm was i think one of the first digital money transmitters correct that were around at that point and correct it didn't strike me just immediately i was like no let me check whether t- paytm is publicly traded or not and i had an inkling it was not and sure enough it was not publicly traded yeah and i said oh can't invest in these guys where else do i go now and then when i started kind of researching how money transfers work digital money abcd it just like suddenly straight slowly 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 i took steps into the bitcoin rabbit hole and i realized that ah this is where the story really comes together and mm. i had a fairly i had an interest in macroeconomics i used to read books on macro macroeconomics uh, financial bubbles burst stuff like that to understand yeah. how they work more from the stock perspective but mm-hmm. i never realized how apt it would be even uh, from a crypto perspective right. so once i then once i took the plunge i kind of you know put in little bit of money okay you know i think the word was don't put in more money than you can afford to lose still yes applies yeah. applies today still still yeah, yeah. exactly uh, and uh, i think the other phrase i remember from that period is uh, you come for the lambos you stay for the revolution mm. Uh, mm. so <laughs> i think that is also true i was like okay you know let me go make some money in this bitcoin thing Mm-hmm. Uh, I already like and then I learned I had been learning technical trading like technical analysis of charts right so I, I did this course in this thing called Ichimoku Kinkoryo okay that is the chart reading technique which I found quite like useful and intuitive then Elliott mm-hmm. waves is I think another thing I learned and then this just general basics of how to do the moves on uh chart let's yeah on the chart basically trading views of the platform I found so I think okay let's go for it So that's how I really got into it. Then mm. I think uh, the following month I I spent a few weeks in Shillong where I only sat and studied. Basically I tried I dipped my fingers into everything from Bitcoin to cloud mining <laughs> to yeah 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 to like you know yeah. ICOs I think there was one Olympus which was my first one 
right i mean i was like okay this is the whole new world it's i just discovered it it's like you know chocolate factory i'm going to take a bite out of everything over mm. here and full and i can move no more mm. okay so that's precisely what i did and which i think in retrospect was extremely fun uh little uh, <laughs> testing on the pocket ultimately but <laughs> highly educational yes i mean it yes. was definitely much cheaper than any tuition i would have paid any individual or institution to teach me correct so in that sense i was totally comfortable once i got my uh, handle on it i think i slowly started investing more money uh, researching the products a little better correct okay. understanding what the larger systems were then you saw the difference between mainstream media crypto media right mm-hmm. and yeah then i think i don't know about you but i went through this evangelistic phase also where i was like telling everybody that crypto is the shit crypto is the shit you guys mm-hmm. have to get in this is like so interesting Right, and it's yep. difficult to. Stop. I mean, I was so immersed in it. I was right. so immersed in it. Difficult for me to like stop talking about it at that point of time. Yeah, and yeah, and some people took to it, and they were good for. I mean, they they've done well. Mm-hmm. All those uh, gentlemen and ladies who listened to me back in the day, and uh, some ridiculed me, who are now well, they're still on the fence somewhere, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because every time you get convinced, the crash happens, and they're like, "Ha!" Yes, yeah, I know. Uh, so, yeah, so that's my journey into crypto. And awesome. Then, yeah, yeah, the law just followed organically from that. Right, right, right. Awesome. So what about you? So you also during demonetization, how did you go for you? Ah, uh, so uh, as you said, like you know, there was like that early noise in crypto, like just when Bitcoin with that pizza, like all that, all that little bit of noise that you could hear. Initially, I actually tried uh, like I I downloaded uh, old school. This is only I think this is only Bitcoin era where I downloaded mm-hmm. like a Bitcoin wallet. Downloaded on my like an old school Mac. I downloaded like a Bitcoin miner, and I was trying to do uh, some things like you know like uh, but really like stupid experiments. Like I don't know if anything got to. And then it was like initially it was like I wanted to say like I was like okay let's buy like twenty US dollars worth because my dad used to. Mm-hmm. work in the states as like let's buy like 20 dollars worth oh. but mm. overall that like there was so much friction back then like you know it was not easy like the dollars had to get converted like the so yeah and I, I didn't end up doing anything back then then 2017 2018 like around that point demonetization yeah i looked at like alternative like like what what's the options and also Bitcoin actually became quite popular or crypto but became quite popular within few circles that were using it to let's say I I I had like bunch of friends that were using it in uh what's the onion what's the other internet like the alt or, or the Talk. you know the dark 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 web yeah, yeah. yeah the, to- the onion router right yes onion, onion router exactly yes yeah so they were using it there to purchase things of the dark web hmm. uh, goods of the dark web right yeah, yeah. correct that was a huge case back then yes. yes 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 and that was like what so like yeah i was like okay the, like this is like one uh, like it's i mean yeah. but it's a thing like you know like yeah. this like there's this magic internet money and you can do <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah uh, and real the, goods show up you know yeah at your doorstep so exactly doing? yes ah. yes yes so then uh, Then I I came here came to Australia in 2018 I was doing uh, my MBA degree and 
part of the course like part within like one subject being supply chain management logistics we are introduced to blockchain technology and how that works in a logistic settings and like you know yeah of course yeah so that's when i really understood like real world applications of crypto or, or basically the blockchain technology but like the real world applications and and for the last i think 5 years there's like there's like if you go and look there's actually blockchain technology being used at like big retailers like walmart in the us and like they're used uh, at small coffee shops where like you can like scan the coffee uh, like the coffee packaging and you're able to tip a coffee farmer directly through blockchain technology yeah so like all these different applications so that's when i really started getting into it and like really starting and as you said like when you initially like you you get in there it's like the chocolate factory and you want to take a bite into everything right so like similar like okay what's this okay this like you know i came across this other platform or tita these guys are doing they they are <laughs> yeah, doing other yeah. uh, block blockchain version of the youtube i think this is going to be the next thing so like okay let's like let's chew into this a bit and then you know there's like all these things come come up but but then again when the down when when it's the bear market time and then you really see all these things like dropping down like flies and and then the, that's when the bitcoin maxis really like you know they really come shine. i told you yeah they really shine yeah. and we like i told you yeah. and that's when i really started getting into like what bitcoin is and and as you said like you start exploring like the macro side of things and so yeah I, like i started really learning about money and then like you know how money has come into being in in culture and like you know what are the social aspects of it psychology behind it it's basically game theory at large and like how did paper money and like all these kinds of like weird stuff and like yeah i want to know like whether you've dived into that aspect of it as well like you know i have the, i have actually yeah. uh, so i read a book i read a book mm-hmm. on crypto assets okay called crypto assets which gave a primer on history of money right it like sort of covered like you know money has been around for a while and that even the primitive societies used to have money and right uh, this is around the same time that i think that other book called sapiens we had which had mm-hmm. a very uh, important concept where it said that money is a fiction that people create to kind of make it it's a social technology yes yes uh, uh, another word sorry uh, is mass hypnosis uh, mass yeah, yeah. It's it's a belief, yeah. It's a belief. Yes. I believe that this is has value, so thus it has value. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it has real world applications. So I started digging deep, and my starting point, I guess you could say, I had a good teacher, which was Nick Zabo. So Nick Zabo right. wrote this excellent uh, paper called "Shelling Out." Mm-hmm. Okay, and in this paper, he kind of gives an exposition of money from almost Paleolithic era. Where, which he, which you know you can kind of consider to be a period where there was only proto collector it's proto money or collectibles it's not money in the traditional sense right right but societies had become or the bands of hunter gatherers had become organized enough to re- realize that a tribe or a, a tribe in locality a needs to uh, interact and trade with tribes in locality b because one person has stuffed fish with the 
you know let's say when the rains are falling and the other person has deer when the winters and winters are there and both of them have scarcity periods so right. trading is literally a in it's a what money is like a insurance against starvation okay. right, right 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 so that was their use case and so it's kind of comes full circle where the first use case of bitcoin was to buy pizza mm-hmm. okay i am mm-hmm. hungry please feed me right Correct. so that's right. literally right, what right, money right. was and is so it kind of fits even after 20 uh, whatever 50000 years or whatever this period is right. we're still here right so that was paleolithic money so that will probably be it was considered what in economics you would say hard money which meant that mm. you either have to go it was bones mostly so you'd go and have to kill a bison or kill that tiger Correct. or whatever whatever that and yeah. woolly mammoth you were killing mm-hmm. and then you would have all these bones that were left over after you eaten that animal mm-hmm. and then these bones would then be chopped into different sizes and the main value proposition of this bone was it doesn't decay easily second right. it's hard to come back right? so it can be used as a placeholder of iron so that right. is i think what it was mm-hmm. and the theory is that this these uh, bone pieces and fragments that had value came to be used as jewelry because where else do you keep something of value except on Correct. Correct. right so that was the concept there were no wallets and you know internet banks keep all this stuff back then so then you slowly come to a period where and many things are happening together but you come to a period where uh, it's closer to what we recognize as society right so now some form of nation states have right agriculture is a thing now now right. in this you i think first had metal coins bronze coins silver mm-hmm. coins mm-hmm. iron coins even which didn't survive then organically most societies landed on gold right. for the simple reason that gold is a non reactive metal it was easily fu- it, it was found easily enough at that point of time but not too easily mm-hmm. it was malleable so you could make it into whichever shape you wanted and it had no use for warfare or other stuff right you can it was not strong enough to be used as arrowheads or whatever so what do we do money was the next logical conclusion for it and this went hand in hand with many other things that were a little difficult to come by like bucks skin bucks skins right yes so that's why you have the uh, buck uh, i think the yeah. what was traded was buck tails buck tails yeah yes this is cost you one buck right. i think the value was like equivalent to 1 dollar or something like that yes point. Uh, uh yeah something like that yeah something like that they had this fixed rate basically and and, and the, sorry just for me yeah, yeah. and like back then like one buck i think would have had a much higher purchasing power than obviously, currently is uh, one buck purchasing. yeah no 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 that those one buck were i think first silver back then gold back something like that right right even dollar had this crazy period right before the dollar got formalized into a gold back currency under the currency act of america mm-hmm. in 1800 sometime and before the federal reserve stepped in there were many forms of currency circulating Just yes now we have a zoo of cryptocurrency they had a zoo of their own currency cause uh, cause i think at that point of uh, yeah at that point of time every bank or like this financial institution where people like thought it would be more secure to like instead of keeping the amount of gold at home they could keep yes. it at these institutions and in right. and in it return get a receipt and then use those receipts exactly. as paper money exactly hmm. exactly correct so it's born of convenience 
Yes. This is a very organic system to have kind of emerged, right? Mm-hmm. And this is happening side by side. Like I did this little analysis where it was happening side by side when even uh, those shells were being exchanged. Yes, yes. So many things like so you have this era when you look at the global thing. The first central bank is I think set up at the same time Manhattan, Manhattan in Sweden. I think it was set up. Okay. At the same time uh, Manhattan was being sold for a bunch of shells and trinkets, right? Yes, yes, so, yes. So it kind of gives you the you know the tail the snake of the financial system with its head in a central bank and the tail and a bunch of shells. Right, right, right. right. And everything in between is there. There was like I yeah. think the Chinese were the first ones huh, to come up with printed money and minted coins. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I think yes, receipts uh, where yeah. they were using yeah. receipts. Yeah, and and they were using I think silver as uh, silver coins. I yeah. think so too. Yeah. So, and, yeah, and and yes, and in New York they were using shells still. Yes, they were using shells. Yeah. yeah. So I mean the so what I kind of took away from all of this is that wait a minute, uh, money is a very broad concept. Mm-hmm. It's not what we think. Like if you ask me what is money, I would have told you rupee. Correct. Right. And then I'm like, so it's not just a rupee. Money mm-hmm. is a concept. Rupee is a subset of that concept. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a species. Money is the genus, so to speak. Right. And then I started understanding about what, like, I was taught in economics class back in the day, which is a floating reserve and a fixed reserve. Correct. What does that mean, right? And right. Uh, then I started going back to some of that economics to learn that oh, this is a fiat currency. Fiat currency means that a currency that's not backed by anything, except <laughs> the good word of the government, right? Yeah. And I remember very well in school, bunch of us sitting together where some gentleman who was a bandmate of mine. I don't remember him now was trying to explain to us that you know this 10 rupee coin has value because right. you see this little strip inside it's Which, got some metal and it's the value of that metal is 10 rupee and ah. I really thought that was the case for the longest time okay and right, right, right. some of us used to try and take out that it's a security measure that strip it's nothing to do with that Correct. Uh, and we used to try and take out that little strip and it'll come in your hand also right, and right, then right. we'll try to sell it to people for 10, 10 rupees and we get laughed after speaking Right. right, right. So, and we just devalued it. So, <laughs> that was the mindset I had. Right. So when I learned that it's none of it is backed by anything, it was a little mind blowing for me. And when I asked my some many like well reputed individuals, doctors, lawyers, something, and many people don't really they've not really delved into this question at all. That's what I found. Right. There was a huge gap in what people really understood about the money that they themselves. Then I learned that in 1971, 15th of August is mm-hmm. when Nixon kind of decoupled all the currencies and the dollar from the US reserve, from the dollar system. Then I also learned that the dollar actually got deped from the from coal in something like 1935 or 1933 under FDR when the new deal was coming in. So that's when the gold reserve went out the window. Correct. And everybody's pretty much been on a free-flowing system since then, for most parts. Except Switzerland, I think, hung out for the longest time with a gold reserve. They kept it intact. They were mm-hmm. And that was part of their neutrality, that we will back our currencies. Then I understood concepts of hard money versus you know, easy money, and how money printing works, and what the effects of money printing are. And then when you start seeing how the world is currently poised, it makes a lot more sense to you. Right? It makes a lot more sense that uh, these credit cycles, booms and busts that take place, right? uh, where you have these hype markets, 
rife speculation that a boom crash that takes place how these things can directly be traced to easy money and so i remember reading this book by i think his name is charles macaulay or maybe i'm mispronouncing his name but gentleman wrote a book in the 1800s about uh, uh booms and busts speculative booms and busts in markets okay and he covered something which is i think called the mississippi bubble mm-hmm. where there was a gentleman called john law john lw law he was a teacher he was a gambler and very smart gentleman but i think a gambler right. convinced the king of that point of france to enter into this entire sequence of events including buying land in mississippi that's why it was called the mississippi bubble and everybody is buying land in mississippi and he basically created a financial bubble right and the first of its kind okay and the core issue of that financial bubble was devaluation of the currency okay right so so then i understood that okay this currency like is not safe to uh, keep all your money in indian rupees which kind of confirmed why i entered the scene to begin with which was demonetizing right. so the whole circle just made sense so i think that kind of completed a shift in my world view in on how mm. things work how i am supposed to react to this world and especially in a in this current era where money printing has kind of gone rife and we are today looking at a recession most probably so i have been sitting and trying to make a list of what i should do and should not do to survive whatever the next few years may throw at us because the indicators are all screaming red and right. most people i follow and respect from mm. mm. the industry from the investment industry Peter yep. Dalio Warren Buffett and a bunch of others are like maybe we are looking at 2000 crash or maybe worse like it's a once in a 100 year crash kind of a situation yes because we have uh, multiple factors converging on each other that's right. actually what really gets you we can survive a war we can financial survive a bubble we can survive a healthcare crisis but yeah. when all of and we can even survive climate change but when all of it come together that's when you start seeing uh signs of collapse in certain systems like right? breakdown mm-hmm. in other systems so yeah, yeah. so like that's yeah. really where i am yeah 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 do i have to point it out quite a bit let's uh, i'll take this back firstly back to money and then i'll come back to the current to current point where we are so let's like double click on money and mm-hmm. and from what i from what i like was reading lately and like how like paper money really kicked off first and like unbanked uh, basically m- money that is not backed by actual gold so in the so in the second world war like i think british wanted to like enter the war and like the, they used to do it yeah. by issuing bonds against yeah. uh, like to the yeah. public a public would give them their gold and and take these bonds and in return the bonds would be like in the future the government would pay the pay the bonds back with a little interest pay the gold back with a little interest yeah so so they issued these bonds and only a third of the bonds were subscribed to and two thirds of those bonds were not subscribed to so what was done to get a fully like a fully subscribed issue of those bonds back then they got the Uh, the i think it was a royal bank they got two of their top employees to take those bonds into their own personal names okay and showed that it was fully subscribed so basically they artificially created money <laughs> <laughs> this is like the first real like uh, 
place where it was actually created and you think about it like it was actually created to fuel war and you see and th- that's where like this uh, currency or money which is not backed by actual goods or actual or, or not backed by anything right like this fictional money that actually came into exist and existence and that's what actually fueled most of the early wars yeah 100% early global wars like you know the world wars yeah so and the consequences like of that would be like the i mean the brits the right thing where they said like you know i value my gold i don't want to give it to the to the government for any sort of war right like i'd rather mm-hmm. keep it keep it for my own personal use keep it for my kids or whatever it is right but but I, what i wanted to say i ask you was is like what do you think like came across first like you know what would have been the application of money would it have been like a medium of exchange or store of value the first use case of money was an insurance against starvation which is a medium of exchange right okay so it's a way for two people to keep track of who owes what to whom mm. and in that you also kind of uh, have a store of value which is in this, the money itself is not appreciating in value correct at this point of time it's right, just right. a way to keep tabs keep tabs exactly when, yeah but slowly mm. when the concept where money society evolves i guess So and then society's uh, requirements to coordinate efforts and you know to organize his own behavior become more and more advanced and advanced. Mm-hmm. And I think money also kind of moves in lockstep with it. And the moment money could be stored for a long period of time, which means that you can earn money today but spend it after fifteen years. Mm-hmm. That's when the store of value uh, upgrade was unlocked, so to speak. Right. And uh-huh. right, and the last part that you had with money was the unit of account. So, for example, a nugget of gold could be a good store of value, but a gold coin of the same weight but with a king's face on it and a number written on it would be a better unit of account, which means that you can buy houses with it, do different stuff with it. So, okay. these are the three parts of the money ecosystem, right? So, you mm-hmm. have a unit of account, you have store of value, and you have. uh medium of exchange mm-hmm. so medium of exchange definitely is the first thing to have come about so i'm clear on that i think right. uh the store of value comes second and that comes hand in hand with the uh this thing unit of account the problem with unit of account and i think one of the first uh western region western kingdoms to have its own mint its own coins were these kings from this place called Lydia L Y D L I D I or L Y D I Lydia they used to have a coin called the setter i think uh my mm-hmm. pronunciation may be off but they used to have a coin and this is the same king you would have heard of him he's called Midas i think yes. this is Midas's grandfather who came up with this coin okay mm-hmm. and they became mad well because this was a way for them to organize and formalize their tax collection right they like we don't want your grain we don't want your cow yeah so what do i do with this nothing i just want your coin so here are the coins trade in this and i will collect this from you and that's when they became very 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 rich and i think that's where the parable of like too much wealth also comes from like he touched his daughter daughter touched to gold correct right so so this is i think uh, so definitely medium of exchange and what is mm-hmm. it called yeah slowly as i think uh, as time has progressed all the th- one other concept of money that's really important i think 
in mind is saleability right so how easy is it to sell your money to other people for goods and services right right liquidity yeah liquidity fungibility mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. kind of similar words right right so you would say that a bone is not very sellable a nugget of gold not very sellable but a gold coin is a lot more sellable mm. digital coins today highly sellable Right, right, right. It can travel wherever, be fractionalized into whatever, and, and these are some of the I think use cases of like where cryptocurrencies ought to shine over other currencies. Yeah, despite all skepticism. Yes, yes, yeah. That that and I think there are nations that are actually seeing use case of it because uh, to like to go about with global trade instead of it, it's mm. easier, much efficient to go on a more. Uh, on the with Bitcoin yeah. or any other uh, yeah over blockchain and I think Bitcoin is like really dominating that space and if if from what I last saw given that uh, El Salvador and the Central African Republic it's made it legal tender and there's few other South American countries and African countries likewise using it for global trade I think it just accounts for zero point zero one percent of like the global GDP. Yeah, and and that's zero point zero one percent of the global GDP, and like and soon if once the like you know and and obviously the first use case would be at these nations which are struggling and they are not going to get support from like you know la- from the global World Bank organizations yeah. or the IMF or whatever. So and they f- obviously find this easier way to store their value of money. Of yeah, so I would see if that number if that that numbers obviously estimated to go up like it's like 0.01 of global gdp and if it if it's set to go up to one percent or five percent i'm not sure which one uh, the bitcoin is going to be like valued at like one million per coin when that number just goes up to one percent or five percent yeah see it's actually like it's the it's i think it's like the zero to one concept right like once earlier bitcoin is not adopted by anybody correct money used by a bunch of you know whatever you will cooks and nerds and mm-hmm. people in the peripheries of society using this random magic money from there you come come to a nation state or to adopting it it's a hugely hugely significant thing as far as i'm concerned right and if i remember correctly uh, the one of the hypotheses of bitcoin is an adoption by failing states it's not going to be adopted by an America or a right. UK, which has stable money and a stable currency, whatever as stable as they might be. Yes, I'll just uh, I'll just interject here once. So Argentina was going to go, like adopt adopt Bitcoin, and the IMF bailed them out by giving them forty million dollars. Forty million dollars. Yeah, let me see if that's correct though. Let's verify that. Yeah, you, you you can continue though. Yeah, sorry. Ah, so yeah. I mean, see the the trend I think is going to continue, and as this recession gets deeper and deeper, and more and more currencies start falling in different places, there is already uh, there is already a trend for many nations to accept the U.S. dollar as a backup currency. Correct. I think in Nigeria and many other Western states, this uh, uh, African state, this is a position. Mm-hmm. If you go to Nepal and Nepal, closer to our borders. Yeah. Many people over there accept the yuan. Many people also accept Correct. the rupee, right. right? Because their native currency, they don't have too much faith on. Yes. Right? Yes. So similarly, if you give some Indian some dollars or pounds, he'll happily grab that also. Mm. Take euros also. 
Mm-hmm. Right? We all believe in hedging our bets and keeping a basket of currency with us. Because Correct. we know that none of these currencies on their own are really very secure. Right. So, to that extent, but the moment you adopt somebody else's currency, you are then in some sense beholden to them. Like America has enjoyed a hugely advantageous position being the uh, reserve banker for the whole world. Right. right. It can inflate its currencies. We get deflated and we get inflated. They stay exactly where they are. Right. So, and if there is a way out for them, I think you know natural risk-taking at- attitude of humans will ensure that some nations will definitely adopt an alternative which is ni- uh, which doesn't belong to anybody, which is technologically secured. Right. So, and El Salvador doing it is a huge plus. And what I, I particularly enjoyed, and I don't know whether it's in action yet or not, they were supposed to use geothermal energy from their uh, from some one of the volcanoes. Yes. Oh, that yes, yes, that's been operational for the last one year. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that, a huge one. Yeah, yeah, that's huge application, and yeah. Yeah. So, and like right now, I have like so the other part of my life, like so, you know, I have ever since I remember in school and a little bit earlier than that, I've been, I've been. Painting, sketching, right. form of art or the other, writing poetry, whole bunch of stuff I've been doing. Mm-hmm. And so art is one part of my life and that's also how I got into Colors of India and stuff like that. But okay. one aspect that I think has a special, like if I have to chuck out everything and you tell me what, you know, what would you do if all this was not there, right? I think I would be in nature growing food in some way. Mm. And like, you know, I was I following this this is gentleman called Ben Rapper, Ari, and he's he's a, he's a elderly gentleman who speaks about the financial markets and systems and okay. he's kind of giving a update on what the financial markets are looking at right now and how right. closer to your thing like even many supply chains are sending triggers of a recession in freezing of supply chains uh, less orders right. coming through many of the supply chains and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right, so so he basically kind of was he was he came up with this list of things that we should be looking at if things get really really bad. Right, mm-hmm. so first is to kind of reevaluate your portfolio to make sure that it's recession proof or recession friendly. Right. Number one. Second right. is to get rid of all your debt. Third is to yeah. accumulate gold and silver. Right, these are okay. hedges against a recessionary market. Okay. Third is to sell real estate if you don't need it because right. the markets are going to tag probably. Right. Fourth is like then is to secure your job and your income. Right. Very important, right? Right. Then the ones that surprised me was to have a food and fuel backup. Okay. Right. Saying that see fuel now is going to be in short supply one right. way or the other, especially or be very pricey for most people. Yes. And if fuel goes up, food crisis starts. Yes. And the food now like I'm, what I'm seeing locally is uh, after the floods, the price of food has doubled in Guwahati. Right. 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 Same thing happened during COVID. Mm-hmm. So doubling is a huge thing. I'm paying hundred percent. Yes. Right. So now being a, I am, I'm surviving. It's not killing me right now. But for most other people in society, that's a, yeah. that's that's highly dead because their salaries haven't gone up. Right. Right. And uh, everything else has become gas has become expensive. Mm-hmm. Electricity has become expensive. Your fuel has become expensive. Now yeah. food has become expensive. So inflation is rearing its ugly head in very un, un, in bad ways. Right. So. Which kind of brought me to which this financial advisor was the last place I would have expected conversations on food, 
food. But there we were. This I was listening to this guy talking about growing food, and like this is something that was is extremely close to my heart. So I had done this uh, permaculture course. Permaculture. Right. Are you aware of permaculture? There's yes. Two of them. Yes. That originated in your neighborhood, actually. Yes. Right. Yes. Tanzania and Australia. So, yeah. And Australia is also facing a lot of ravages of climate change, so yep. including your forest fires and water issues and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, and permaculture was like a dream discipline for anybody who has a multidisciplinary bent of mind. Yes, because you can yeah. take different disciplines of agriculture, arboriculture, sericulture, mm-hmm. you know, aquaculture, horticulture, floriculture. Yeah. You punch it all together and see how it all works, right? Correct. It's system building. A system. It's a design science. Design. Yes, and and you're going to take yeah concept. I mean, it's, I mean in a in a really broad sense, it's like you're going to examine your land that you have that you plan to cultivate on, and see what aspects of it. Like I I, I really like that example where I'd seen when I was like doing my research on primordial as well. Where it was a land which ha- it's a slope and it has a flat land as well, and so on the slope you're growing like these. And you're growing obviously not in like for in a with a long term perspective. So you have pine trees that would grow along the slope, oh, which helps retain the water, and then water. yeah, and then that would help get, get mushrooms during one part of the season. And mm. then when the water comes through that slope coming down, and I think one patch where it is little that the ground itself has like a. In like it's like a ditch, not like a yeah, but like has a depression is there. Like like a little depression. Yes, that's the right word. Stop the water. Yeah. Yes, so there could be a little more like a pool, pool kind of. So that that would have be a good good environment for rice, and then yeah. you know, and and then using different parts of the land, and if you have, and then with if with the addition of poultry, with the addition of cattle, and then you design your space accordingly. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. It's basically like it's a it's system design ecosystem, right? and you're designing a complete ecosystem. Ecosystem, right? And right. what I'll tell you, what's really struck me, right? So when you mm-hmm. so when I studied permaculture, I kind of realized that it's actually in two parts. Okay, so okay. permaculture. Most of if you Google online, if you Google permaculture today, or you go to YouTube, you will find videos about land and things that are grown online. Right. So structure. So. Mm-hmm. Permaculture talk about different housing systems, materials. Right. Talk about swales and ditches, ponds, dams, different right. types of trees, flowers, forestry, different animal husbandry. Right. So essentially, how do you make all these elements unique to your system? Given all your challenges, put them together so that you can you have the best. You basically make an anti-fragile system. That's what you're really trying to do, mm-hmm. which is in a sense all natural systems. Right. So if you think like. In some sense, I have practiced it even in my house over here, okay. where I have looked at where the sun comes. I've planted certain, uh, I've done companion cropping of plants, right? I have right. made places for birds to come so that they eat my pests. My uh, mosquito levels year on year have been decreasing, which is a huge thing for a sand. Mm. So, right? I have not had to buy water for two years, where all my neighbors are buying water simply because I've done water harvesting, I've done water channeling, water purification systems. Very basic, not expensive. Just putting these systems in place with minimal, even recycled materials, scrap material, whatever. It's just a proof of concept, right? So, so then you know, and planting trees in various spots. So now this time I've got good mangoes, I've got guavas, I've got pineapple, I've got 
yeah like whole bunch of stuff like passion fruit juices are like galore nice, now eh? ah, so and then my my veggie so orcas are coming whole bunch of gourds and like what what we call tita kerala which is bitter gourd i yes, think and yes yes oh so bunch of other stuff like so and then during the spring season you get all the sags and all so all the green leafy vegetables are in abundance then awesome. thanks to google i basically photograph all the natural vegetation that's growing what otherwise would be cut off as weeds and i realized half of them are edible okay so i have now start harvesting them also so you suddenly like at least one salad and one fruit salad is coming out of my kitchen a day which is good enough for me at this point considering my land is not very big so so but the other part of permaculture is the invisible system okay which is basically your legal system you do how is what is your permaculture farm going to be a again what's your corporate structure is it a partnership between two people what does your agreement say that's one part ip right. protection that's another part right so like in there's one entire class dedicated to this to saying that see it's all good and fine what you're doing on top of the land mm-hmm. but you have to ensure that you're uh, integrated with the society and the economy at large correct okay and what i found like where i this is where your worlds meet is like i think it was jeff uh, lotton he was talking about currency like how currencies work and make sure you are hedge for currency risks and stuff like that mm-hmm. there was some conversation about futures markets okay saying so that if like there are many funky ways right if you are growing grain as your cash crop then you can hedge against grain also in the markets right. so if you put these systems in place then you can scale your operations your losses suddenly get limited Mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from what you're doing to grow the vegetables it's just mm-hmm. better systems in place so that's when i felt that there's definitely a place for crypto web3 to merge with permaculture right so once you take the uh, knowledge that's there within the permaculture society today the practitioners of permaculture and you add to that the power of blockchain and web3 correct I see many, many, many like uh, very interesting projects coming up. Uh, right. Yeah, and I, yes, yes, absolutely. I I would say say the same. Like this, uh, I'll tell you about one. I spoke about it recently. Yes. In uh, yeah, so in Africa, so there's a so there's a coffee shop in New York. I mentioned that earlier as well. Yeah. There's a coffee shop in New York. You can scan the barcode and sorry and and yeah. Let me get this right. Yeah, you can scan the barcode on the packaging, and you can tip the farmer. So I thought, like, I I call like this is I came across in my class. Uh, this is two thousand eighteen. So I call yeah, it's called bullshit because like you know how I I don't think it will go to the farmer because yeah we know how yeah because yeah. you know yeah, how, did, yeah. right like you know it's like I'm scanning that and no. but then like like digging deep like the professor uncovered that it's so it's. it's more like how the so the, it, there's a it's going to this account which is a common fund account so it's something similar like something similar to what amul does in india where like they have their hub and like uh, farmers or milk cultivators they'll come and they'll give the milk to that hub right so this money is going to that hub and the hub has a record like and and it's all happening on the blockchain has the record of like you know where at what period was those that particular bag packed and then that bag would have like a say for that section they, they it could have gone like on so and so pallet right like and so and so 
at what period and they are able to identify at least like they're able to narrow that like it's not a single farmer but they narrow it down to like five farmers or something like that okay. and and that tip is distributed among the five of them because you can fractionalize it and yeah that's quite wild yes that's really wild yeah. right and that's actually like knowing where your food is coming from is going to be high yes. now i think we are one step away from having plastic in our food oh i mean uh, since i'll just highlight uh highlight on that because recently uh i came across something so uh h- how much of plastic do you think uh, i'm saying there is plastic in our diet right i'm yeah. saying a credit card's worth of plastic how long do you think it takes us to consume it would it take us an entire lifetime like a few years a month like what do you think i don't know i don't know i am going to guess and say a year a year yeah. it takes us one week Whoa. We, are, we are consuming one yeah credit uh, card one credit card worth of plastic every week uh, i can't remember the doctor's name she's done like lots of studies on this and like how it is affecting our hormones wow because they found plastic, plastic. in our blood recently yes right. and they found plastic in like newborn babies right like so they are not yeah. exposed <laughs> in the fetus yeah yes. yeah 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 so that's it. it's a very scary world huh? right right because we don't know the impact of this and mm-hmm. uh the closest analogy of a novel item entering our blood was lead back in the day yes okay lead was a thing that was supposed to be very very friendly for the economy and society i mean from the romans downwards right yeah and it was in paints and everything and i think the death knell came from leaded petrol mm. and there's a correlation that they've been able to show that said that all the generations that were born in urban cities where leaded petrol was in the air had lower uh brain to body ratio or some like <laughs> they had some cranial issues basically right 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 which directly reflected in crime so mm. they could basically say that if this was the amount of uh lead in the air in year 0 right right 20 years later it matches the amount of crime so mm. you can see the up and down up and down up and down so right. to show that uh something as abstract as lead in the air can Uh, result in something as concrete as crime statistics correct 20 years later so surely there's going to be an impact of plastic or this is like lead on steroids yes so yeah so that's quite a thing for me yeah the, yeah because the other projects though i was looking at was uh, and this is something that i am hoping i can play some role in and benefit from and also like explore further is this concept of uh, payment for economic services Yeah, ecosystem services. Have you heard of that? Ecosystem services, no. Yeah. So see, you would have you would have heard for heard of its precursor, which is credit, carbon credits. Right. Okay. Carbon credits for the it's called an offset credit. Offset mm-hmm. being that uh, whoever is growing carbon should be paid by those who are adding carbon. Uh, whoever is sequestering carbon Correct. should be paid for those should be compensated by those who are spending. Uh, putting mm. carbon into the atmosphere Correct. right that i think comes from the kyoto protocol back in 1993 or 95 some year mm-hmm. like okay then that kind of never took off because it was very difficult to calculate who was sequestering how much carbon yes okay it was a practical 
impossibility almost like even mm-hmm. in india today you have the ability for people to claim carbon credits and uh, carbon credits are theoretically also traded in the open market here right as a commodity it's the only intangible commodity in india today yeah. as for the uh, securities laws okay. so but if you look at the procedure like some guys will have to come then measure the trunk of all your trees then do some mathematics it's not accurate of course but yeah, yeah. but they have now found that using a combination of drones and satellite imagery mm-hmm. you can get uh, carbon maps of pixels of land as small as 1 meter by 1 meter Oh, so, okay. which means that you can form, you can actually generate maps that say that see last year there was this much carbon, this year there is this much carbon, and on that map you can see where the ponds are, you will see where your fence lines are, right. you will see where your farm is, you will see where your house is. They'll all show up in that map mm-hmm. as carbon, basically. So now when you have this digital data, it becomes a lot easier for people to start monetizing the carbon sequestration, right? and there's a concept where they say that farmers don't really grow fruits or vegetables they actually grow soil and soil is nothing but carbon so if there is a monetary model where carbon i mean or where farmers using permaculture systems or any system for that matter but permaculture is what i'm looking at using mm-hmm. permaculture systems are able to sequester systematically large amounts of carbon and be compensated for that above and beyond then farming becomes a highly attractive proposition for most of the world mm. and given the fact that most of the world may very soon be out of a job and be out of food farming may definitely be the way to go for it yes. may be a very very big kind of solution to a very big problem we have Correct. And, and we are all ultimately three generations ago we were all farmers just yes. to get that yes right? so it's not like it's been a long time so I mean, I'm quite like yeah. So I think like there is there is space for tech and like agro tech is also agri tech has also become very absolutely absolutely like there's and I see like there's going to be like lots of innovation and food production kind of coming up. There's obviously large scale food production which can be done with drones and automated mm. tractors and all of that sort. But also like uh, micro food production systems, like community farms and everything, right? Like and like going down to individual levels where you have your own sort of uh, you know, mm-hmm. system in your like you know in your garage or something like that, or like uh, to an even smaller scale, which is like a cupboard and in-house cupboard, like a green room and countertop. Yeah, but yeah, there's going to be lots of and. But as you said, like you know, there'll be more f- the the uh, focus would shift because yeah, prices are surely slowly increasing, and uh, obviously they've kept the economy shut for like a good part of the year, and uh, and at the same time there were no goods. I mean, there was no goods produced, but money was produced, right? Like so, yeah, that's, yeah. that has created like a really has inflated the money market like so much, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So all that, all those effects are going to play out in the in the next few years. Like it's playing out now, but yeah, it's slowly like going to start playing out. And then with the war with Russia, that's like another thing, right? Like so that yeah. then yeah. Uh, that's where like now Putin is like you know the, he's obviously as, asking European countries to pay in the ruble, and at the same time he's 
convincing like the Saudis that you know like the US is just going to print more money devaluing your current treasury your bonds reserves, and everything yeah. yeah exactly and at the same time what they did to him as well right like they they were they are able to block that payment like they are able to yeah, block swift, Russia swift payments were blocked yeah yes not not only that they are so Russia had I think were holding some US treasury bonds so they oh, were yeah, not yeah, able to liquidate correct, that right correct, correct. Yeah, so like that's uh, what what would you call that in uh, in more technical terms? Uh, yeah, I, so I can't I'm I can't put that word like, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but I know what you're saying. Actually, they, it's not only Russia. You know who else they did it to? No, uh, no. they did it to uh, Afghanistan mm. very recently. Ah, uh, uh, very likely. Yeah. Yeah. No, so January or February. Okay. Uh, Afghanistan, basically the Afghani bank had some money in a bank in America, right. in New York. Mm-hmm. Okay, it just had money, not even bonds. Right, and right, right. Uh, when it want, want, and it was some, not some large amount, right? It was like some $6 million or something like that. For a nation, that's not a big amount. Yes. Even for Afghanistan. So, when they went to recover that, they said, actually, no, you owe us for the war. So, they kept a whole bunch of money from that. <laughs> and they gave like some 40% back. Right, so right. then the Afghanis had no recourse. So now whether you Taliban, no Taliban, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. right? The fact remains that if tomorrow you are an enemy of the of the uh, of America, then suddenly you are out of the money system. Correct. And exactly. Many many countries have, I think, taken note of that. Mm. Okay. The soft power that goes with the SWIFT system has been a problem for a while. Correct. And it's been working fine because everybody is on the same page. But now you can see that. Blocks are once again being formed very clearly, right? So you have the Russian block on one side and the Western mm-hmm. block on one side, and yeah. nobody really knows where they fall on one each other. Yeah, because uh, essentially the like life. You see the do, do you okay? Are you aware of why the European nations are so dependent on Russia, especially Germany, so dependent on Russian oil? Uh, I'm. I'm not like I won't be able to put an exact pin on it. But yeah, I'm so, pretty sure. Yeah, like back in the day, like they decided to go off nuclear and like you know, uh, I know that. And they it's were older than that. Okay. Take World War Two. Okay. Okay. There is no. a World War Two. Mm-hmm. When World War Two is happening, and now World War Two is over, and there is like Germany is divided into two. Half of it is Russia. Correct. Russia has won the East world and was Russia. Right, right, so right. So Russians now brought in their pipelines all the way to East Berlin. Right. Okay. West Berlin had no such pipeline. Mm. Now once the Berlin Wall falls, Russia is now getting introduced into the ways of capitalism. Mm-hmm. One offer that is very simple and I'm highly oversimplifying this. Yes. But one offer that's given to them is why don't you make some money with this oil thing that you've already got all the way into East Berlin. Infrastructure is already there. Now you yeah. make some money, time for you to reap these rewards. Okay. Happy capitalism to you. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's literally the end of that. That's basically how the Russian oil comes in. And over that, many centuries and many decades have passed and evolutions have happened and more money system, oil systems have come. And Germany has been making concerted efforts to go green and energy independent. Okay. That's all there. But the source of why the dependence is there is because since the inception of well, post-independence or post-post-World War II Germany, the oil has been a very important part of the infrastructure. Correct. So, 
we are literally in a sense trying to undo a lot of what was established after world war II. Yes, yes. Including the Bretton Woods Conference, right? The dollar hegemony in the world. Yes. So, yeah, we are also trying to undo that in a certain sense now with all the nations standing up and somebody is adopting Bitcoin, somebody saying give me rubles, somebody saying I'll keep Euro. China is like, oh, hello, my yuan. Yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. Like yes. In Africa and all, it's all yuan. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think we are in for a bit of a turbulent situation. Yeah. And yes. yeah, and I think turbulence is something that I expect Bitcoin to thrive in. Yeah. Uh, in the long term, like right now, we are going with the American markets and all the institutional money. Yeah. So Correct. that's, I think, as what this is right now. And the way I'm seeing it, we can be going down to $8,000 also. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but that will be what it is. Nothing to be done there. Yeah. But uh, I don't see, I think traditional markets are also kind of. Yeah. Badly off. Right. So I don't think many of these companies are going to survive this yes. next three years. If, yes, mean, yes, I, yes. I, I'm not. I don't think it's an if anymore. I think we're in it. We are in a recession. Yes, absolutely. We're in a recession. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that's really the long and short. Yeah. I mean, uh, what are you doing to prepare for this recession? Let's have <laughs> that. Uh, uh, I mean, I honestly I haven't like good thing you put put it out. I've been working. <laughs> I, I've been working uh, extra hours at work, and I get paid by the hour. So like, so that okay. yeah, so that adds up. So that adds up to my like you know having extra, yeah, yeah extra insurance. Yeah. In extra insurance. Uh, I, I'll be honest. I I, I I I while I was a student here, yeah, I used to do like all sorts of odd jobs, one including yeah. doing like Uber deliveries. And so, because there's like lack of, so I would say Australia, like your Melbourne is pretty, we are still like lucky here because there's still lots of jobs in the market. There's no crunch as such. They're actually short on people. And and like even even like Uber drivers are short. So once in a while they'll uh, put up, like they like they want drivers to come back on and they'll put on like these extra offers. So for me, like, like the current offer that's there today, is like if I not today but like this entire week, which I just happened to see, like I was like, let's see what's happening here. So the current offer, if I complete one delivery, I get paid for the delivery, plus I get thirty dollars on top of that. So that's like easy thirty dollars sitting right there, right? Like I just yeah, 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 yeah. just like I just like all these extra like little bits, and obviously like I'm not penny pinching on my expenses as such, but things are just starting to get expensive, and like. I'll tell you like when like my yeah obviously like my girlfriend and me both are Indian and like we have like tre- like have mostly home cooked food and coriander is a big part of like cooking. Okay. Yeah. Dhania. Uh, yes. Uh, and and uh, it, usually it used to be two fifty rupees for a bunch. Like I'm giving you the question. Okay. Sorry. Uh, usually it, yeah. Usually it used to be. Uh, hundred rupees for a bunch. It's gone up to. 800 bucks a bunch. Oh! Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and it's like for the last three, two weeks, we like even though we were willing to pay that, there's like nothing available. <laughs> so, like, we, I mean, we do have like now we're gonna obviously grow our own. So, that's the yeah. way out. It, grows, it grows well in water, huh? remember that. Okay. Yeah. So, if you manage to get some, your hand on some dhania from somewhere. You should be able to like YouTube the propagate it. Yeah, you should be able to propagate it. 
as long as you have a sunny sunny uh, area yes 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 yeah and yeah. what i'll tell you the the guys to grow lots of stuff in water in passes in my apartment what you really need is a tra- uh, opaque pass where water light cannot come through the should not touch the water that's ah, the okay. only key okay okay, okay. then what you can do is you can put the vase in sunlight or semi shaded areas right the la- because otherwise the water will get algae once mm. your water gets algae you are done for that's the end of that correct you make it worse so light adds to algae remove the light you should be able to propagate that's nice it. yeah also like clear bottles would work really well white bottles would work really well. yeah basically darker darker bottles yeah, yeah exactly okay perfect awesome Yeah, check it out. So yeah. that's your eight hundred dollar, eight hundred rupees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah but at the same time, yeah, of course, of yeah. course, yes, yes, yes. At the same time, like, uh, it's like as you said, like you know, you, there's with everything happened globally with like you know inflation, like they're saying inflation is at eight nine percent. This is the U.S. inflation. Oh, okay. which which i feel they're using the wrong metric it's probably it's like even more. so yeah uh, so we can always assume like it's at least 14% i guess like yeah. 45% up from there so so like if i if we have to like survive basically we have to increase our salary like our pay has to increase by 14% but it's not which, which is not at the same time like prices of things are going up so yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah, pretty crazy at this yeah and but the only i think hedge as you said like rightly but i see is bitcoin like it's like the only like certain thing like in this crazy space but at this like it's still like there's lots of education like why bitcoin matter basically people uh, what is as this mass hallucin like people don't know what's money right like i think more people need to like really understand like what money is I, yeah i remember like back in the day like i i didn't understand also like i used to like ask my grandmother for like 1 rupee and 2 rupees and like you know to go to the shop and buy stuff and then and suddenly it's like 5 rupees and 10 rupees and stuff like that and then my grandmother is like yeah obviously happily give me the money but then she used to always say this thing like you know she said in marathi like ye paise se kai kimat nahi so that like more like it means like there's no like there's no what is the value of this money because obviously then there are times they've been using paise like paisa like you know yeah, yeah and then yeah. then the paisas like have, have gone out and now we're just like rupees and i don't know what yeah and uh, i've not been to india in the last four years but uh, i'm pretty sure like i have had like some of my other friends like travel to india from from like canada or wherever mm-hmm. and it's like oh like prices in india like everything's getting so expensive in india like yeah like yeah. even 4 years later like yeah you see like it is yeah everything is especially so, 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 see most of our economy gets triggered with, uh, with 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 oil right correct yes once your oil is up like 40% or something else then the cascading effect of that is tremendous yes yes because yes, yes. you can in a sense say that the modern industrial complex is based on oil from your plastics to your transport everything is based on materials yes. right it's all oil based it's all about oil based so, <coughs> so and once your oil companies are doing gangbusters or some of them mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah so i think because of the oil inflation that's happened plus the rampant money printing correct right? so these things combined there yeah, i think is taking you to uh, Uh, not a very comfortable place, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Even in the short term, things are looking a little. 
I'll put you on the two like interesting macro reports that I usually like to see. Have you heard of Doomberg? Bloomberg? No, Doomberg. Oh, Doomberg? No. No, yeah. Okay, this is like, yeah, really subscribe to these guys. I mean, uh, at least su- subscribe. Subscribe, okay. Uh, yeah, you can subscribe, you can get them on Twitter, see what they're about and yeah. So, and and there's obviously a paid subscription which I'm not, not advertising for, I'm not sure how much they must be quite, they're charging a bit. But uh, even their unpaid subscription, they are this weekly, really, really good pieces from them. And another investor slash macroeconomist, uh, Lynn Alden. Uh, I'm subscribed to that. Yes, yeah. So yeah, Lynn's work is like really good, but Doomwork has recently been picking up. They are, I think, anonymous, but good stuff coming from their side as well. I like the name Doomwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're paranoid uh, chicken, it seems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too good, too good, too good. And recently, yeah, recently they uh, they were like uh, joking because they recently got uh, a follow from Jeff Bezos. Jeff okay. Bezos for his Doomwork. Yeah. But yeah, they've been putting out some good reports for the last, yeah, I don't know, I think a year or so now. Thank you, this is most helpful. Yeah. Any, any way, like from where you get your news sources? Mm. So, I mainly get my news. I'm not news, news but like macro. Information. Information. Yeah. More on the macro side. Yeah. yeah, so I get my macro information from who? I get from podcasts. Yeah. Most of my like macro view comes from books, so I wait. I usually pick up like a book that's been written a while ago, right? Right, which tends to make certain predictions of a time now, correct? And uh, try to collate it with what's really happening here, right? So that's the other way that I do it. And just trying to actually. I know Lynn put up a brilliant comparison of our current state to I think 1940s or 1920s. Yeah, the yeah. 1920s, yeah. I think, yeah, mm. which is pretty cool. Like, of because that at that around that time it was war and uh, excess money printing, and and now we have excess money printing, war, and had a global pandemic. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything not yeah, it's, and 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 it, everything looks. Like at the at, during pandemic, everyone was like very happy because like there was this stimulus and like everything was looking pretty good and like yeah. the money was yeah. distributed into all sorts of crazy spaces, including rug pulls in NFTs and crypto. <laughs> <laughs> no, correct. Yeah. yeah. So I have it. No, I was just looking for my list of uh, this thing. Yeah. So yeah, I'll tell you. So see, there is this uh, Indian outfit called the Ken. Okay. So Sorry. How do you spell Ken. that? Uh, the yeah. K-E-N, K-E-N. Okay. So they have a bunch of good publications, mainly mm. India focused, but yeah. good. Okay. And I follow the the pomp letterhead. Yeah. Okay. The yep. newsletter, so that's yes. quite good. Then I follow this gentleman called uh, Azim Azar. Mm-hmm. 
he does something called the exponential view. Yes. So that's really good for a macro perspective. Right, right. So that's the other one. Then what else am I? Have you read Layered Money? Layered Money? Yeah. No, not, a, not a big not a big read. It's a small book. But yeah, no, a really good book like on the yeah. history of money. Lovely. Yeah, on the history of money yeah. of... Yes. And it's... There's Nick Bhatia. Yeah, Nick Bhatia. There's some nice imagery of how money backed by gold is and like how money backed by nothing looks like. And then towards <laughs> the yeah, and towards the end, uh, he makes a case for Bitcoin, obviously. Mm. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts on like crypto and like Bitcoin? Like, do you see like a distinction between the two, or like it's all yes. in the same bucket? Yeah. No, no, I see a distinction. Okay. Yeah. So I think that. When you talk of cryptocurrency, there is really one, which is Bitcoin. Then you can say Litecoin is a cryptocurrency, mm. sure. And others that are in this similar uh, uh, industry. So let's say Zcash, right? Dash to some extent, mm-hmm. and Monero, even right. though they're privacy facing, right? But these are your general basket of currency that are only doing the job of a currency. Mm-hmm. You see, when I look at a currency, I I take a slightly more technical view of what a currency is defined in a law book and in economics. These are the two places I look at. And mostly people understand currency to be something that is, uh, uh, that is sanctioned by a government. Right? So right. whether it be fiat or non-fiat, it should be sanctioned by somebody. That's what makes it a currency. Correct. Okay. And more, otherwise, it's just money. These are two different things. So I would say that Bitcoin is technically crypto money. It's cryptographic money. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, these other uh, like Litecoin and Dash, Monero, Zcash, and I'm sure there are others over there. Yeah. These can be called currencies because in some sense there is an authority issuing this money. Correct. Whereas in Bitcoin there ain't. It's yeah. Nobody's there. Right? So then when you come to projects like Ethereum and everything that similar adjacent to Ethereum, I would call them crypto assets, right? So they are actually, they, their primary function is not to be used as a currency for buying and selling of goods. Their primary purpose is to be used as gas or an in, a, within the ecosystem token for its own internal purposes, right? So that's the way that I kind of distinguish. Then I find that there are a whole like tokens can be issued by anybody under any protocol under any for any purpose state. Correct. So then I start looking at you know is this a utility token? Is this a security token? What is the function of this token? Correct. Because I've realized that cryptocurrency can become a very uh, controversial word because it encodes a lot of feeling and angst in people which it does not necessarily need to carry with it. Mm-hmm. So. For example, first, like you know, in 2017-18, people were mainly talking about uh, Bitcoin. Suddenly, there were more than one Bitcoin competitors, so and everybody is trying to bring their own Bitcoin into the frame. Right. So then you had cryptocurrencies. At right. this point, the use case was money only. Right, right. Right. Then you kind of started having crypto assets, and ICO boom then happened. 
Now mm-hmm. the tokens can be fungible and non-fungible. A whole new class of tokens have opened up, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and now slowly, slowly, I am seeing a lot of uh, what would you say? Marketing tokens coming out. These are tokens that are not money but are useful for uh, use within a particular company's ecosystem. Correct. Right. So I don't know. I'm just thinking out of the box here, but like. Let's say Audi or Maruti comes up, some car manufacturer comes up with an autonomous car or a semi-autonomous car mm-hmm. and it says, you know, your autonomous car is going to be consuming, it will require a lot of data storage, you know, for all the data that it picks up and we can delete it after 30 days, but why should we keep right. it, use it for some advancements, sell it to us, whatever, we will do something with it, there's a system there. Okay. So for these things they can kind of issue their own tokens by which you know you can have a meter that runs within the car to store your data that you're picking up from where you're going what you're going i mean think of it as an extended dashboard camera right correct so tomorrow if you have an accident then you'll just give this whole like report saying that see here's the report of what happened it's my data i'm giving it to you and i think sia coin did a similar tie-up with tesla i'm not sure how successful that was Mm -hmm. but uh yeah, so I am now kind of fall mostly when projects come to me either from a client side or when I'm researching a project mm-hmm. and I look at the tokenomics, I see what activity is that token doing. So okay. a little checkbox, like is it acting as money, is it acting as a payment system, is it acting as you know something to be used to okay, okay. garner, is it just for staking because all these things are quite uh, muddied in right. this field this industry it's not clear cut right and that's why the regulators are going to get white hair trying to figure this out and mm, like the analogy I usually give is of this creature called a chimera a C-H-I-M-E-R-A mm-hmm. a chimera is like a multi uh, it's an imaginary kind of it's a monster with many faces Okay. Right? And it can be uh, many, many body parts. So it's like tail will be of somebody else, its right. head will be of something else, its legs will be of something else. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's basically like it's one organism, but it's right. made up of many separate organisms. That's kind of what a chimera is. Right. So crypto is like that. You can have a token like Ethereum. I mean, it walks and talks like money. Right? But it says I'm gas. But at the same time, you can put it into a fixed deposit and get returns on it over a period of time so it's a financial instrument also mm-hmm. so there are many use cases to that one token so whereas when you take a let's say the slp token from axi infinity the special mm-hmm. love portion token mm-hmm. that has nothing that only does mm-hmm. this one very specific thing that you can do which is buy certain things on their platform or use it to you know breed your axes or whatever the certain use cases of that Correct. SLP token which then is all you can do it for you can't walk into a coffee shop and say give me this give me a coffee with this SLP theoretically you can't right so right. that's not as like advertised so yeah so I mean I think Bitcoin and some others are the only real cryptocurrencies or crypto money out there I think rest are all crypto assets of some sort the balance, which is I would say 90% of every, all projects out there are somewhere are just tokens, I don't okay. know, like cryptographic tokens. I am not able to place a definition on them broader than that, much narrower than that. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I would argue yeah that 
I think only Bitcoin is the only true. Yeah, yeah, I will, I will, I will, yeah, yeah, only true, yeah. True aspect, yeah, that would take form of like real, like of money, of like take the take the characteristics of what money is meant to do, like, and that would be like as a, like as we highlighted before, like like for store of value for a medium of exchange yeah. for yeah. And the see, and the most important part I think, which is kind of the most controversial part, is the fact that Bitcoin consumes energy, right? So for you to maintain, maintain, and run the Bitcoin system mm-hmm. you need to consume energy that's the yes. whole point of the proof of work system yes which kind of tracks to your austrian economic concept of hard money saying that see Correct. this money is hard to come by yes not easy yes you can't just print it some team can't just add decimal points and zeros and Correct. Zero. Correct. there it is right mm-hmm. that's the whole point so and that's why like i find that when like the whole narrative of uh, bitcoin being environmentally unsecured mm. or dangerous is kind of a little overplayed, I feel, in many circles. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure it consumes energy, but like even cat videos on YouTube. Exactly. Not like you should get it on them. So that's not an argument as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, but I mean, I don't know whether you're tracking this. Mm-hmm. This is like where Bitcoin and nature come together huh, on, a, on scale. So look at the ice bubbles or the methane bubbles that are forming in the Arctic Circle. Right. Okay. So most of us today are, when you think climate change, you think carbon, right? Correct. Now I, this is my, I'm putting my neck out and saying this is my guess, that sooner than later we will be thinking of methane, not carbon. Okay. <clears throat> methane is like 28 times uh, more of a greenhouse gas than carbon. Okay. Even though methane exists in the atmosphere for a shorter period of time, right? Okay. But it that shorter period is longer than our lifetimes, so it's long enough for us. And it turns out that because of the melting of ice in the Arctic Circle, up top in the north, okay, there is the ice sheets have uh, become lesser, so many ponds have opened up have formed, lakes and ponds have formed <coughs> in various parts including Greenland and whole bunch of areas in that entire circle. Wherever there is land, the ponds have formed. And from there, <coughs> they have found that there are these huge plumes of methane being ejected. Okay. And yeah. turns out that there are, uh, what's <coughs> that there are uh, massive 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 reserves of fossilized methane underground that had because of the ice being trapped underneath okay because the ice is weakened it is being released into the atmosphere at catastrophic rates and you can literally see the bubbles and the size of these bubbles form in some places and there are certain lakes where it's constantly bubbling up okay Mm. and uh, there is really no solution at site and the more methane comes up into the atmosphere, it will start triggering a lot of climate change and it's at a pace that we may not be able to comprehend if it finally comes to be because carbon is one thing, methane is 20, carbon into 28 times. Correct, That's 2800%. Okay. So it's really a very deadly situation for this to be happening and I think the science on this is about a year old. Okay. And okay. the latest IPCC reports also do kind of go on up. So, so, 
Yeah, was there like any are these methane pockets too small to be harvested for energy or like? Yeah, I don't know. You know, right. they seem to be okay. Right, some right, of these, right. but 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 see, now methane is coming from two places. One, it is coming from uh, a lot of the perma, not the permafrost. Uh, yeah, so basically, there were apparently large reserves of uh, organic decomposed. Half decomposed organic matter underneath the ice. There was some carboniferous forest in that region, which then just got covered with ice, and it's sticking <clears> like that, mm-hmm. right? So now, when the ice is melting, all that stuff is decaying and releasing methane. Correct. That's the first part. But that's the methane you can't see. It's just like kind of you know, it's just get, getting added into the air slowly. Right, right, right. But the bubbling methane is coming from deep underground. Correct. And it is coming through certain chimneys. Right. Okay. So you imagine a big like ball of methane, pool of methane, maybe a kilometer or half underneath, or some meters underneath, high number mm-hmm. of meters underneath, and then yeah. there's a little like chimney that comes out, mm-hmm. which is for ethane, and that chimney then probably fractures on top and goes into many pieces. Correct. Like a trunk of a tree, and then right. the roots on top. So that's I think the structure that is taking. So I would hazard that plugging all the different different branches on top may be difficult. But plugging right. the root the tree itself may be possible. Correct, correct. Now, methane is extremely volatile yes. and prone to explosions. Thus, one has to consume it in situ. You have to consume it there. Mm. You can't be like taking it into pipe. Take, and taking it correct. Yes, yes. So, yes. what is what do we know that can be generated and mass? Mm-hmm. In situ and then transported all across the world for little to no money, provided there is internet, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there is a case for Bitcoin mining to be yes, as you were saying, yes, to look at these, these methane things and solve climate change, at least fight climate change, and mine Bitcoin at the yes. same time. And yes, have a, and methane is otherwise a clean source of energy. Correct. There's no residue. Yes, and and and, and there's. And there's quite a few mining operations that are happening, like where this, where they, f- where these fire of small pockets of methane or any other combustible or like resource, like mm. where, which is where it doesn't make sense to put up an entire oil rig or a you know a yeah. refinery, yeah. where is actually like the bitcoiner or like bitcoin miners go to those facilities and they run a few nodes from there basic they run a few mining computers on that powered by that energy correct yeah and in fact uh, there's a lot of this uh, uh, many oil refineries have this burn that takes place which correct is yes product of refinery yes and i think many <coughs> bitcoin miners have set up a camp over there and are ha- excuse me harvesting all this wasted energy yes Yes, and that are you know, and mining with it. I mean, theoretically, I think Bitcoin can really lead the charge. Bitcoin mining can lead the charge on harvesting energy. On harvesting right. energy, yeah, I, I mean, I, in in truth, like I think, money is like energy and rest, right? Yeah. Application <laughs> okay. money is energy yeah. and rest. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, Bitcoin can take it. Take take it from there, and but another application I've seen is that uh, like a city's power grid, like a city's power grid is mm. always has surplus energy, 
and they they meant to have surplus energy because if yeah yes exactly so i i see like yeah, i have i know that miners are approaching these sources as well yeah 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 no i think the in the united states also after the chinese ban on mining there was a huge uh, migration of mining power to america i believe among some yes 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 many states in america i'm forgetting who they were i think texas is one of them uh they have given bitcoin miners a positive like a green uh, light yeah uh, green light yeah uh, they yeah. give them a green light to establish their systems in correct 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 and provided i think there there are certain conditions where if uh there is a energy shortage and the miners will have to turn off and yes, stuff yes, like yes. that yeah there are some conditions but i'm guessing it's a good start to for coexisting right and yes if uh, bitcoiners can use that surplus energy then nothing like it exactly and add money add yeah add energy back to the grid exactly but at the same time i think uh new york is oh yeah. no, new york is going down the other direction they are going the other direction but, but they've been new doing york that never crypto friendly yep yep They but they are that get go get yes. go they were like unfortunate given the fact that new york is the financial capital of the world today mm-hmm. and what not what not ah so to not have crypto there is a huge thing but mm. but at least they consistent yeah so but, there's that yeah this <laughs> is great fun talking to you drupad i'm not going to take Absolutely. any more of your time but but I, but i surely want to do a round two like there's so much more we can dive into I, I like and usually I'll be on like usually like I pick up like little bits and pieces from your whoever I'm going to speak to from their social media or whatever I can so like you know I have some pointers to take the conversation like when there's nothing uh like when there's nowhere to go and like but Kursi like we've actually covered up like most of those points I had like written down Pandalawa I had written down Prima culture you spoke about system thinking as well in between all of that like because there's something about you spoke about pattern recognition and system thinking i think we can dive deeper into this next time yeah, yeah and then more on money and bitcoin i would love to do that lovely. again lovely yeah. lovely 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 yeah thank you thank Thanks. you for having me eric thank you uh, so much of course yeah let's yeah let's connect and like let's see if we can schedule something in again 100% all right Cheers. thanks rupa take care you do bye bye, bye. Thanks guys for tuning in. See you in the next one.